This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On this week's episode, Elliot and I are going to be going over five things that we're going to be working on and really going after this off-season for improvement going into next season. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. But first, a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the podcast. Gunner's American-made dog boxes come with a lifetime warranty and the market's only CPS crash test certification. The guys over at Gunner Kennels have conducted major stress tests to show just how strong they really are, like applying 4,000 pounds of force, dropping a 630-pound hammer from 8 feet, and shooting it with a 12-gauge shotgun at 7 paces with no bullet penetration. Engineered for your dog and built for your peace of mind. Gunner doesn't cut any corners. Nothing comes close to the G1. Go to GunnerKennels.com and use code DuckGun10 at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now, I've been using ShotCam for the last year, and I can tell you right now, it's a great tool for improving your shooting, whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact make sure to check out shotcam.com and use discount code duckgun at checkout for $40 off hi this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls I'm here to tell you about our duck goose and wood duck calls we use 3d printing technology to revolutionize the industry this new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of windsocks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. Push the record. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Tell me, do, do it. Let me hear you do it real quick before you record. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co host alongside me, Elliot Graybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'll do it. All right. Go for it. What's going on, everyone? This is Elliot here with Duck Gun Podcast and my co host, Jordan Brownbeard from Duck Gun Chronicles, <laughs> and he wanted me to do the intro today, so there it is. The problem here is that you've got this smooth voice, oh, and I, I don't. About that. You've got a much better podcast voice than I do, but uh, I don't know. That wasn't too bad. That yeah, wasn't well, you got you got a better face for video, so now that is true. <laughs> that is true. We all have our strengths and weaknesses in life, and <laughs> I don't know. You're a pretty handsome fella. 
Oh, well, well, thank you. So, just to screw with you guys, we had Elliot go ahead and <laughs> throw out the intro. I think, yeah, I think you just about nailed it. <laughs> I think so too. I might have to do that every week. In fact, who needs a co-host? <laughs> if I can do the, that, I'm good to go. <laughs> we'll just call this the Freelance Duck Hunting Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So the topic for the week, wow, the topic for this week is we're going to be going over our off season improvements and preparation going into next season you know this is perfect with Elliot's mindset here we are in May and he is rearing to go so (laughs) we need to have his fever he's got the duck fever so we got to have a list of things to get him through the off season that way while he's got his motivation on a high streak he can think about these things and get something done because that duck depression's bound to set back in we got a long way till September Probably so, but right now there's no depression. It's just the fever. And getting out into the marsh a couple of weeks ago and scouting a new area just added to it. <laughs> Actually, I was so relaxed and peaceful when I came home. I was in such a good mood. <laughs> you should just go out there every day, man. Yeah. Till the mosquitoes are there. and <laughs> I think I'm going to get little Penelope out and run her around a little bit. She's talking more and more about wanting to hunt and that kind of thing. So it's going to be really How cool. How old is she? I, she's a fifth grader, so she's... What what is she wife like eleven? Forget my own kids' age. I'm well known for forgetting birthdays and ages, but yeah, she's she'll be a sixth grader next year. So I I she's kind of scrawny. I don't know if she can do it next year. The year after that for sure. And she so wants when, to do it. When I when I was about her age, I think that's about when I started as well. And I was pretty scrawny as well. Um, <laughs> hard to tell now, but. Um, and I was, they gave me this little, my grandpa gave it to me, this little single shot, 20 gauge, just got, you know, you pull the hammer back and one shot. It's honestly, it's, it's a little hard to aim, but <laughs> you know, something like that, you know, might work good for you. Yeah. But those, it, we've got a gun like that. Well, it doesn't have the hammer, but it, you break it home. It's one shot, 20, that thing kicks way harder than any of my 12 gauges do. Cause it's, it, there's no way to suck up the recoil and there's no pad on it and it's just like that thing kicks like a beast well you could buy a pad and they do kick hard they do kick hard but the problem is with anybody her size she's not going to be able to hold up a heavy gun for sure yeah and so i mean the other thing is you can get some of those boss shot um you know two and three quarter inch shells and another thing i know he's done some custom loads you may be able to um you know be able to contact him and get some custom loads um, from him to get, you know, something that's not going to kick hard. Cause I know he's, I can't remember if he talked about it on the podcast or if we talked about it in person when I went up there to meet with him, but he has thought about, you know, junior loads or something like that. Um, I mean, I probably shouldn't even say that, but it's too late. I said it. Uh, but he, cause he made custom ones for his son when he's younger. I'm sure there's something like that, you know, find the, the one, if anything else with the two and three quarters, 20 gauge, that kick the least. Well, and I've got the 410 Mossberg pump too, which it's hard to kill a duck with it, but Simeon killed his first duck with it. There you go. So that I can do that as well. Worst case, you get around some clays and just see what happens. Yeah, that's a good that's a great idea. I actually um I should do that this summer. Get her on some clays this summer with that 410 and just get her used to the gun. Um but I know she's talking a big game about wanting to do it. So that'll be and she's a very entertaining personality. <laughs> there you go. So I, I, it'll be I, fun. I, yeah, that'd be awesome. The other the other thing, Shot Cam, one of our newest partners, 
um, you can get a bracket for a 410. You can get a bracket for a 20 gauge. I actually purchased a bracket for my 20 gauge to put a shot cam on. Wish I had it during season because I hunted about half the time with my 20 gauge, and I wish I had some some of the 20 gauge shots. So you could get even, you know, <laughs> get some cool shot cam footage from that too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, did you see the video where I took the shot cam out for the first time? Oh yeah, um, smashing punk or not pumpkins, watermelons. Uh, watermelons. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was standing too close. I was standing a little too close, but I really enjoyed using the shot cam and and um, just kind of getting used to how it works. And because I know I tried to use it um, when you came down yours last time, and I didn't quite. <laughs> you forgot to bump the stock. Yeah, every time. but I, I mean, it looks like all you have to. It, it's easier to do than what I thought. Um, as far as how to bump it and everything, but I'm I'm really excited about that shot cam, especially after playing around with it and using it. Yeah, they make uh pretty much the coolest footage, you know, <laughs> for yeah. for duck hunting. You know, slow motion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's three X zoom, something like that. So it gives you a close up on the duck. It's super smooth for a camera that way, and I think that's you know kind of the premium price tag on them um, for that reason because the technology behind that to get everything the way it works i mean that thing is flawless yeah it's a great tool the only time i've had any air with it is user air you know you forget to bump the stock yeah besides that it's been you know money i didn't tighten the allen wrench quite tight enough when we took it out shooting those melons so by the end um the little red dot had gotten off not much but it had gotten a little bit high and that was just my fault as well i don't know how tight you want to tighten it but Need to be yeah, I, I mean, you can tighten them pretty tight. And the other thing, um, the kind of the last step of setting those up, which I'm not sure if you follow the instructions or not. <laughs> yeah. I think I did. <laughs> okay. So at the end, you can go on, you uh, wirelessly, wirelessly connect it to your phone. And then from there, you can uh, aim across the room. They send you a sticker with it and you put the sticker on a wall or a box or something. Um, and you can aim across it and get it really, really dialed in. That red dot, you can actually move where it is. Yeah, we your, did do that. Your screen. We, we, we did okay. that before we went out. All right. Well, I take so it the back. Then. I'll give shots. you more credit. <laughs> yeah, the first couple of shots are right. The red dot's right on, and then after that, um, it just gets off a little bit. But so there, I, th- I believe there actually are guests for next week. So we'll probably be going a lot of over over that stuff as well. So yeah. let's jump. Let's do, we get on, we went on some rabbit trails, <laughs> which is not uncommon for us, but let's uh, kind of rear it back in here. And I don't think that's a phrase people use, but let's bring it back in here. And <laughs> Did you say rear it back? Uh, rear it. Like you're going to rear a child or okay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I was going with that, but let's bring it back in here. And we'll jump on our topic for the week. So the first one that I wanted to talk about, um, preparation improvement. This is more of kind of both. But the beginning of the season, I've kind of seen this year after year. Um, I've struggled with my shooting. I start off in a slump. And, you know, midway through the season, I'm just smashing them. I can't miss. But the beginning of the season, I'm just seeing this, you know, kind of year after year. Um, and you know, I've only been hunting for, you know, this is going into my fourth season, but every single season consistently, I can say that I absolutely suck at shooting beginning of the season. And, um, you can throw in your opinion on this, but I've tried things like going out and shooting clays and, and I don't know if it's like a mental thing or a confidence thing, but it's just like for a while, I just can't hit anything. Yeah. Um, that, that I've certainly gone through slumps and long prolonged slumps. If, if you guys watch 
uh, my freelance duck hunting. If you're a longtime freelance duck hunting YouTube watcher, season one and season two, I shot terrible. Like the both seasons, I shot um, in the mid 30s percent wise. So I keep track of, of my shooting percent, and I was shooting terrible. And coming back from towards the end of season two, I was listening to the Average Waterfowl podcast, which they're not even on anymore. Um, and they were talking about the same topic and shooting tips and everything. And and one thing that they were advising is a lot of poor shooting is just from quickly shouldering your gun. So they advise to just get in a room and about 50, 100 times just practice shouldering your gun and pointing it at something in the room quickly. And see the next season um, I did, season three for my videos, I did so much better um, with my shooting. But I was I was struggling shooting out of a layout boat. So I, I was shooting really, really well, but then I would get in a layout boat and I couldn't hit anything. So then I did the same drill with that in my layout boat in my garage where I was just coming up and aiming on something, different things in the room. And after I did that 50, 60 times, both of those drills seemed to help me dramatically um, with my shooting. So that's something to think about trying. Yeah, I've done drills like that. Um, I think for me, what I've catch myself doing is I just like, I get so excited and I think that that's part of it. I'm so excited that I just don't aim. Mm -hmm. Like I just look at the bird and I like don't even get my, my cheek on the, the stock of the gun, which you think drills like that would help. But as soon as that first bird flies across during season, it's like everything goes out the window and I'm just yeah. staring there like with my mouth open, like, Oh, there's a bird. And, <laughs> yeah. and it just, you know, so that's one thing that I want to work on, figure out, you know, whether it is increasing drills like that. You know, another thing I want to do is try to go after pigeons um, on some of the farms uh, and just to kind of keep that, you know, where I was at at the end of the season. If I can try to keep that and extend it through the summer, um, get out there and shoot clays, which cost money, obviously. So that's one reason I don't do it a ton. Um, but, you know, just things like that, drills, shooting pigeons, going out, shooting clays, and the last part, you know, with the shooting the clays, I've always kind of uh, started in the shooting position, you know, with uh, your face up on yeah. the stock, shouldered the gun, everything, and then you say pool. And the reason I do that is part, you know, pride and part like because uh, um, you're always going with somebody else and you want to beat them. And you do that, you give yourself the best chance. But I got to kind of, you know, lay that aside. If I'm going to suck, I'm going to suck. Um, and just go for practice more than trying to beat everybody else that's there. Do you use steel or lead when you shoot clays? Um, I think it's low brass, you know, just uh, clay target loads. See, and, and I, I traditionally have done that as well. But, um, I mean, there's a, a big speed feet per second difference between lead and steel so this last year I, I just took a box of my steel loads that i was going to use them for teal i think it's a better idea i know it's more expensive but i honestly i think it's a better idea if you're going to well, if you're going to tune up to use steel yeah loads. the only thing i'd counter to that is um we're both planning on using some boss shot shells this year um they have lower speeds so <laughs> well just compare to... just a comparable speed yeah yeah what you're yeah use. that's a good idea for sure comparable speed because if you're going from like a 1250 which some of those low brass are to a 1550 feet per second. That's a pretty big difference. I, I wouldn't want to do that as a, as a warm up. I yeah. kind of equate that to going out and shooting on an eight foot basketball goal before a basketball game, you know? Yeah, no, that's a good analogy for sure. And yeah, for sure. I, I, I can say during last season, um, during duck season, it was actually close to the end. Um, we went out 
and shot pheasant and my shooting seemed to be a little off and i think that had to do with um having the um lower speeds going to lead because i had lead shells for pheasant because it's you know um not on state property and not you know waterfowl or whatever it's not required in my state yeah i hear you you want to go ahead and uh, jump on your first one yeah, this I, I kind of want to say these in the order in which I think that I will do the task or work on um, this particular thing or, or in, in preparation for improving it. I think the first thing I'll probably hit is I need to rebrush the kayak and the A-frame. Um, although every year we seem to improve the cover on um, our, our kayaks, our layout. And for those of you that don't know, I'm using a, a, an H12 Ascend kayak with a redhead blind attachment on top of it. And I want to just improve it from last year. So an off season, you always have to rebrush, but I'm, I'm going to take a look at where I feel like the deficiencies were in the cover and improve on it from there. And with the A-frame, um, man, I need to get, talk to you a little bit more about, about the A-frame and how you guys go about doing it because I know that it, it is, can get extremely heavy. Um, if it's fully brushed, but yeah, but then brushing it in the field takes such a long time that I want to do um, some type of pre-brushing to that. And and what I know when you came up here last year, we put on some raffia that was just way too light. So I need to think about coloration and where I'm going to most be using it. And you know, I I, I guess I mean with the brushing thing. Um, and if you put in green by the time you're using it, it's probably going to be brown typically anyway. But, um, but so both of those things I really need to improve on um, the presentation of those from last year. Gotcha. And I can kind of chime in on that as well. So with the A-frame thing, um, one thing that we'd been talking about, and it kind of goes back to podcast we had with JT Call, uh, uh, Jake Till from this last season, and we talked a lot about A-frames with him as well and um the one thing that he said that we don't do is they go out and get the really long stalks of grass yeah and they brush it preseason like that and he might even said they zip tie them on there i can't remember um what he said they do to you know for that process but generally the way we've always done it and we had success with it um is brush it in with kind of the natural brush there and we do end up brushing it a lot before um, we go out there as well as kind of touching it up when we get there. And so I think, you know, for me, I want to try to do a combination of the two, get that tall grass in there. That's going to be your base layer. That's going to go stretch over the top and you kind of let it weep over the top of it towards you, um, in the A-frame. So that's kind of the step one. And then you get your, your natural brush around you, um, in the area you're going to hunt and kind of fill in the gaps. But I think, you know, for, for me, you know, this season kind of experimenting with that and seeing if we have, um, you know, improvement in just the amount of time it takes to brush in um, because you have a lot of that kind of sturdy, big, tall weeds that are going to last the whole season as well as um, is it going to give us better top cover, um, which we on the HCRA frames, we do have a top cover piece you can buy, but, you know, given a little bit more front cover on that top as well, um, which you don't always need, but you know, just kind of experimenting and doing some more testing on that, um, as well. So that's kind of where I think I'm going to be on that. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. That's essentially what we're doing with the layouts is that I had a base of raffia grass. It wasn't, except it wasn't natural. It was raffia grass. 
that I put on there. And then when we got to the field, um, whatever is, is there, um, stick it in. The only problems I have with that is when things are still green, um, it stands out a little bit if you're in a totally green patch and you've got brown raffia. But normally that's probably going to be teal and, and gadwalls, and, and so it's not going to be as essential to be 100% blend in as like with mallards. But that did work well with, with um, last year to have that base of raffia and then fill in with whatever the colors are where you're at. Yeah, and the only thing I'd say, um, kind of touching back on the A-frame thing, with your talking about like the weight of it, is it does get heavy when it's wet. Um, you know, besides that, the brush isn't like super heavy, yeah. but you know, the wet factor definitely makes it, you know, I don't even know, five times heavier. So, um, especially early on in the season, you can lay it out somewhere to dry. Um, if you're keeping it brushed in every time, instead of leaving it rolled up and, you know, tucked in your garage or whatever, just lay it out on your driveway and, you know, let it or lay it across the hood of your truck and let it dry out. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the place I'm going to be using it, I think we'll probably pretty much just either going to be able to take it right out of the boat and use it or at Corn's Pond, which is the number one place that I'm excited to use it is just drive right down to the pond and pull it out of the back of the truck. So it doesn't really matter if it's a little heavy if you're doing it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, kind of while we're on the same subject, um, I'm going to try to hunt out of my solo canoe this year. And um, I saw Outdoor Limits on YouTube. He put out a video where he uh did a testing with blinds and he used the same layout you guys have on your kayaks um the redhead blind yeah and i think he got it to work on that so i might have to take a look at that closer and you see if uh, i can get a redhead blind and try it on my canoe and see if it's you know worthy of being a layout boat as well which i think it will be i just think it's going to be slightly less stable than a kayak a traditional kayak so you'll be able to haul more gear but be less stable than a kayak I, that you know from from watching your video and josh's video on that that's pretty similar to the h12 i think um in in every way the only difference i really see in it is the the seat leans back um yeah but it seems to be pretty similar D did you watch this whole video how did he deal with the seat that's in there with the redhead blind attack? he actually uh took out the seat completely he just took out the bolts okay. and and there's no seat, and so you're just laying on a pad. And for me, I'll, I'll probably get a, a layout pad, an HTR layout pad, and just put it in there. And I think that takes care of that issue, not having your seat in there. So you'll be up there comfy and ready to go. Yeah, that's what I did last year. The only, the only issue I had with that was the amount of space that you have for your legs to get under um, that front little part with the HTR um, layout pad. That's the only yeah. issue that I had, but I still, I used it and I, the, it's, it's awesome because it actually ends up that you can adjust the height of it. If you push it back a little farther, you can sit all the way up. If you bring it down, you can lay out all the way. And I absolutely loved that for, for the H12. Awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that with the canoe, there's a little bit more space, so I won't have that issue, but yeah. So are you going to get a redhead blind? I'm I'm really thinking about it. You know, a couple hundred bucks yeah. I can hunt out of that solo canoe um, as a layout. So I mean, I say I'm thinking about it. It's, I just have to wait and pull the trigger. I should just pull the trigger now, but you know, it's kind of anytime you're spending a lot of money on something, you just want to, you know. I think they're on back order till August is what I'm hearing. I, I constantly holy crap. Okay, know, well, you might I'll pull the trigger now. <laughs> and because I have people, I've got so many of the um, H12. In fact, those H12 videos. 
um, have done really, really well. And I noticed that your Old Town Canoe video did pretty well, too. Um, people like those videos where you're talking about kayaks and canoes. And, and I, I get calm all the time. Where'd you get that blind? Where'd you get that? How do I get it? How do I get it? And one, one tip is that if you check online, they might say it's back ordered. But if you look at check a radius of all the Cabela's or um, Bass Pros that are in your a diameter, you're willing to drive and call them individually, because a lot of times they will have one or two left. But it's if you check online, it'll show back ordered. Um, so that you might want to get on that. Yeah, I definitely uh, will hit them up as soon as possible. Now that then, I know that. Because then you need so. to probably if you're gonna if you're gonna lay on, lay out in it, you're gonna want to put the little hood on there for chief like we did as well probably yeah that sounds like it'll be a good project for me <laughs> yeah that's a little bit of a project not not too bad but um, i wish that they would change that and make a make kind of an adaptable system for dogs in there it'd be a lot easier if they did mm. but it's it's a great blind so the next thing i kind of wanted to uh, um work on this off season um which i haven't hit up this at all and i kind of always put this off i've been saying this for last few years but i really need to improve my goose calling um i wouldn't say i'm a phenomenal duck caller but i'm good at the the basics um you know and kind of picking up more things here and there and i think it's just easier so you just do it more but i really need to work on my goose calling i can do the basics you know the just the the double cluck and that kind of stuff but um, I just, I've hunted with some people and they sound so much better, um, than me as a goose caller and they do things that I don't even know the names of, but you know, um, all I'm doing is just the really, really basics of goose calling and I need to, uh, watch a program, which I was for a while, um, a couple years back and keep going through the steps all the way through and, and really work on my goose calling. That's something that honestly, I don't know if I will do. I need to do it though. I just... Um, it's kind of, I just don't have the motivation. I need to find the motivation. Um, but how much do you think that affects geese? Like the calling of them? I know that, you know, the callers, the people that call a lot will say it's a lot of it. But for me, I feel like you being, if you're in the right place and you can do the basics, then you can get them. But if you're kind of off the X, maybe not in the right location, the birds don't want to work as well. How much is going to be, um, you know, being an excellent goose caller going to affect that? Well, I know for myself, I haven't done a whole lot of, of goose hunting. So, you know, I'm not much of a caller at all. I've never actually looked at tutorials and anything like that. I've, it's helped me a lot to hear Aiden because he's he's a pretty good goose caller. So that's, that's helped me quite a bit. But I can tell you um, that where we're hunting on the pond, where they're wanting to come in, even when Aiden's not there, I don't have any issue calling them in, turning them around, I don't have any issue doing it even with my sub subpar goose calling. So I know for me on the ponds where they're using and they've been using, you know, um, you could probably not call at all and, and have them come in. But I, I've seen myself turn them on multiple occasions. And when they're coming in there, they typically come in. So it's, it may be totally different in a field, which I don't have a lot of experience. And it's probably totally different when you're trafficking geese as well. Um, one thing I've wondered about is... You know, if you're especially with with snow geese, but also some with with Canadian or Canada geese as well. If you've got a big flock, let's say you have a flock of a hundred, and they're all honking, and you got one guy down there, what's the chance they can actually hear 
you calling on the ground when they've got all their friends just blazing honks into their into their <laughs> ears. You know what I mean? I mean, if there's like a, a small group, but if you have a big, like snow geese, if you got a group, you know, they come in like thousands. They can't, how can really, how much can they really hear with all that squawking going on around them? <laughs> I've wondered that. Hmm. That's a, yeah, that's a good point. I'm not sure, to be honest. But I think that, you know, it's, it's better to be, um, the better that you are, the better it is. You know, you're certainly, it's not going to, it's not going to diminish your chances by being a better goose caller. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's not, not going to hurt you to be better at it. So no. that's one thing that I want to find the motivation to get better at. And during season, I'll love to be a better goose caller, but during the off season, it's hard to find that motivation. If that makes any sense. <laughs> well, you know, I know what we need to do is get, um, Kyle back on here and he's like a world champion goose caller and just have him do a tutorial for us and have him do a little, um, you know, a one Oh one on it. And that would probably help both of us greatly. Yeah. Let's try to set that up. Cause I know he said he was willing to do it. Yeah. We definitely could get a, a goose caller on here and he can learn us up a little bit, <laughs> but I am a little bit mad at him. Actually. I saw him post on Instagram that he, he would prefer, he prefers Turkey hunting over duck hunting. Mm. So, I'm giving him the silent treatment until I talk to him again. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah. Yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? He's like a world <laughs> champion level goose caller. And he picked tur- Maybe it was just ducks. And maybe that's what it was. It was ducks and not goose. Cause he loves goose hunting. Doesn't he? Mm. Maybe that was, uh, it. yeah, I think so. I think you're right. He's a goose guy. I was thinking I interpreted it as waterfowl. Maybe he's a world champion Turkey caller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You ever watch like the like I don't want to make fun of the people too hard, but like <laughs> whenever you watch like competition callers, like turkey callers, like in particular, the last one I saw was turkey callers, and they're like doing the little hand motion, like their their hands like the beak, they're like you know doing like <laughs> no, <laughs> I've not seen that. Yeah, they do like hand motions, like they're pretending like their hands like the beak. Are you serious? And, and then they're like moving, like they're moving their head and like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing the purr, like it's, <laughs> it's comical. And I, I mean, you're, they're really, really getting into it. I'll, I'll have to send you a video of it, but <laughs> yeah, do put it up, put it up on fellowship of the duck guns. All right. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see how many people, uh, duck call like that in the blinds, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> that's good. All right. You want to jump on to your next one? Yeah. Let's, uh, um, let's go on to my decoy work I need to do. So last year, um, I switched out everything over to the white rock and we had, I think something like three dozen nomads, uh, floaters and four dozen pool seven. And the difference between these two decoys from white rock is that the nomads are, um, they've got a hole in the back so you can deflate them and crunch a bunch of them into a small area for transportation. And then the, the pool seven, they're, there's no hole, so you cannot pump the air out of it. Whatever size there are, that's that's the size they're going to be. And I I was I liked um, the pool seven function fine, but the nomads I had constant issue with those flipping over when it was windy. And so I'm going to go through and I just need some basically gorilla glue and blow blow them up to where I want them and pop a little gorilla glue on them um, to just turn them all into the pool seven. I think the pool seven is a much better much better product. And so I'm, I'm going to do that. And then along the same line of um, duck decoys, we purchased a bunch of the Lifetime um, Texas rigging, which is just phenomenal stuff 
um, as far as, I mean, they don't tangle. They don't ever have the problem with Texas rigging is that when you, when you um, bunch them up and tie them off, then the memory will hold of that and they'll get all, it'll get a kinky over time. But, but your lifetime decoys um, there, they don't have any kind of memory to them at all. But I was having issues with some of the weights coming off and like, I bet you a, a dozen, dozen and a half of those just fell apart in the first season, which we bought, I think five dozen of them. So I need to go through all those. And I mean, I think, I think I'm probably going to contact, contact them and be like, I mean, you know, 30 hunts, you shouldn't have a dozen out of five dozen fall apart. I wouldn't think. So I'm, I'm going to take care of that yeah, too. I've always heard a lot of good things about them. So I'm surprised. I don't know if you just got some lemons, maybe yours got made on a Friday or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that some, some of them, the problem may have been that, um, my dad, when he, he's the one that put the rigs on and on, on the bottom of the white rock decoys, you've got, um, little holes on the bottom of the keel. And then you've got little holes kind of on the section that connects the keel to the body. And I, I, and he put the clip, the clips on some of them on the hole, not on the bottom of the keel. So the little clip, I think, um, kind of would screw up and pop off and then fall into the water and you lose the whole thing. And I think mm. those were my dad's fault, but I think, but there was a good portion of them, maybe not quite a dozen and a half, but I bet you there was a close to a dozen where just the weight fell off. Like their crimps didn't hold. And so mm. I'm sure that's done on a factory line. I don't, I don't know. Um, but that's the only that's the only complaint I have about it. the product itself is phenomenal product. It's just I can't have them falling apart like that. So I've got a whole box of decoys that just don't have any weights on them anymore because um, they fell off. So I figure <laughs> I'll just at least give them a holler and tell them the experience I had and see if they'll throw me a dozen rigs or something. Yeah, definitely worth a shot. So kind of along the same lines, um, I, I have similar plans with uh, changing the nomads over to pool sevens. Like the, I think the nomads have their place. Um, if you're really going out and hiking places, with no um, yeah, in in kind of tucked in areas, yeah. you know, you can't use it on big big water. I don't think with white caps and that yeah. kind of stuff on windy days, um, they're just not designed for that. So it's you know pool sevens, um, like you said. And I think I'm gonna go one step further and, and get some sand. And uh, fill up the kill, and maybe yes, not make yes. them as heavy as the pool sevens are now. So I'll have some lightweight with some weight in the kill. Um, but same thing, I'm actually gonna wait till it gets warm outside. Um, and I think if they get heated up, they'll be um, more malleable. I don't know if that's like the right term, but um, they're gonna just be able to kind of pop into shape better, opposed to like when it's cold out. I think you know it's harder to get them into shape where you want them so get them to the shape you want put the gorilla glue on it uh while they're full of air and have them hold shape and have a little weight to kill i'm totally with you on the kill i, I forgot to do that too. i was thinking about how i'm gonna do that i'm probably just gonna buy um like a big <coughs> bag of sand and a funnel and i think that's all you'll need probably yeah i mean you might not even need a funnel just dump it into a, a bucket and you can scoop it with the actual kill <laughs> yeah yeah that, that would probably be yeah that, that's a good idea I would say when I when I inflate the nomads though I'm not going to fully inflate them. Um, I would like it if the pool sevens had just a little less air in them to where the bodies weren't quite so roundish. Um, so I probably won't crank the the full amount of air into them. But I think you're right about that's one another problem that those nomads have when it gets cold. You 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 blow them up a little bit and then they 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 cave back in. 
Um, yeah, it's like they want to hold form. Yeah. The, the plastic doesn't want to mm-hmm. kind of pop back. It, it loses its elasticity, I guess. Yeah. And I've mentioned a couple critiques, uh, criticisms of these sequels. I want to say um, give at least one, some of the pros as well. I love the material that these things are made of. Um, I don't, I don't, I've not had any paint chipping and I don't think I will. And they are tough as can be. I think you'd be able to hunt those for years. A lot of the old, old mallard decoys that we have just look beat up with paint chips. And I think these white rocks they're I think they're built to last. I really, yeah, do. no, I definitely like that as well. And as long as like, uh, like you said, the material, the soft and squishy, which you're seeing some other companies switch to that as well, but mm-hmm. it definitely beats out the hard plastic. Yeah, for sure. And it doesn't make near as much noise. They don't when they, you know, when you're, well, you can hear people walking in from miles away because their decoys are clanking together in the bag. Yeah. Um, no, these don't clank these at all. No, they don't. They're much quieter, which I like too. All right, and kind of, I guess I'm going to combine this one. I had this one separate, but another kind of um, preparation and improvement to my kind of my own set is um, I'm looking to get some wood duck decoys and try. You know, having a wood duck set. Um, I've heard some people say that the wood ducks um, are kind of species specific to some degree, um, and they like seeing their own you know decoys there. So maybe try that out. Last year and the year before, um, I just used just mallard decoys, um, and last year I used just the um, white rocks. But you know, maybe going testing out just to see how it goes so maybe I'll, I'll get a dozen of them to start with of the wood ducks and i've already started working on my till decoys um and i'm up to um i think a couple dozen till decoys now by working so, on them, you mean you're just purchasing them working on yeah them? yeah just working on getting a you know <laughs> working on by just buying more getting a bigger set getting a yeah. uh, bigger variety of you know species i'm gonna go after which indiana not a big till state we don't have you know flocks and flocks like you guys have down there in kansas but you know when i come down i can bring some or if i shoot over to the western side of indiana i think towards the northwest part of the state maybe i'll have some better luck yeah not sure but you know i'm always exploring and there's nothing else to do that time of year anyway so well we've had lots of debates about or discussion about whether you need teal decoys for teal season i'm sure we'll have those discussions again this august and september but you know, I know that I don't feel right if I'm using, if I don't have teal decoys. Uh, I just love using the actual um, teal decoys versus mallard hens or whatever. And maybe it doesn't make a difference, but I know that it makes a difference in how I feel. So I'm going <laughs> with it. Yeah. So I haven't, I actually haven't tried. This will be my first season using um, anything besides a mallard decoy in my own set. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but I'm definitely going to put some of these tests or these theories to the test and you know, seeing and how say, it affects me. I would say in Indiana also, if, if everyone only uses mallard decoys up there, it might give you an advantage even during mallard season to have a half dozen of a different species just off to the side just because it looks like something different. Yeah. Yeah. So worth a shot. And then um, along that side, uh, the same line, um, I want to – try out a wood duck call as well because i've had a lot of people in my wood duck videos you know mention that say i need to do it or say that um wood ducks don't respond to a duck call at all which they definitely do sometimes i'm not saying they do it all the time or they do it as well as they do a wood duck call um i know sometimes they just flat out ignore it but also mallards sometimes flat out ignore mallard call yeah 
So, I mean, I've just seen, I have, you know, cases where I um, give credit to the calling to turning a wood duck um, just because they weren't coming anywhere near me and then they turned that way. So happenstance, maybe, but, you know, I want to see what kind of improvement I get from um, on these wood duck hunts going with a wood duck call. Yeah, that'll be interesting to hear about next year and how that, how you feel like that works. I know that um, I don't shoot a bunch of wood ducks, but I have, when I've had wood duck decoys out, I've done better at decoying them than when I don't. So, all right, what you got next on your right, list? Mine is um, went, went days with no wind. Um, I've recorded um, my last 300 hunts on my website, Freelance Hunt Stats. And if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's a, a website that I had built to keep track of your, your hunting data and your hunt journal, hunt logs, and, and you can see how you've done with different weather variables. And, and just looking back at my last 200 hunts, if the wind is at 12 degrees or less, and I consider that no wind or light wind, I'm averaging 2.5 ducks a hunt. If the wind is above 12 degrees, I'm averaging 3.5. So it's a full duck a hunt difference, which is really significant difference. And the problem is, it seems like uh, my my uh, days without wind are twice as many as my days with wind. It's like 125 to 65 or something. Um, so it's not quite the last 200 hunts. So we've been talking about this the last couple of years is like, how can we start increasing our success around days where there's no wind? So what we, what we went to last year was the idea was smaller decoy sets, more motion. And I don't know that it really helped. Um, I can think of multiple situations where we tried that. And I, th I think it's a good idea, but I, I think that I'm not using enough motion. I think the whole key behind this is motion on the water. So, so you're thinking like 12 mojos or? <laughs> I'm thinking, no. I'm thinking, um, you know, we've got the jerk rig. We've got probably two mojos. But then um, I need at least one or maybe two other water devices to kick up more water. Um, and I, I don't know if anyone – I've never heard a theory – on this as to why it's so much easier to decoy ducks when there's wind. Uh, to me, the obvious factor is just what it looks like. Um, if you, in fact, our, our video where the second hunt on your first trip where we shot all those birds as they came in, swam into us. I was watching that video the other day and I was looking at our decoys and then I was looking at a couple of those little um, ducks swimming in the amount of what wake that they were making. And I was just thinking, man, we had so many decoys out. Can you imagine if there was that many ducks there, what the water would actually look like compared to this water where we had a jerk rig that was doing a little bit. And then the chief and I demolished it when we walked through it. <laughs> he started it. I finished it. And but just the the visual differences that the duck, the difference that the ducks must have when they see decoys with no splashing water or even a jerk rig that I mean, jerk rigs do very minimal. I mean, it, it moves the water a little bit, but when you compare that to, you know, all those ducks, if they were actually there, the kind of ripples that they would be making on the water, I think that that's what I'm, I, I'm going to try to do on days with no wind is just more water splashing devices of some kind, because, you know, we, I just want to up the success numbers on those ducks. Now I'm to the point where I hate days with no wind. That's the only thing I mm -hmm. care about as far as weather is just let there be 
some wind. I don't care if it's raining, snowing, north wind, south wind. Just please let there be some wind. I think I think snow is still a big thing for me. I know, like, not to you know go off your point too much, but when you mention snow, I'm always excited to hunt in the snow, just because I don't know if I've ever you know had like a skunk or you know, I've had days where it was no wind and snowy and I've shot a limit. Sure, and I and I love hunting in snow. Absolutely, there's. I mean, I would take not raining versus raining. Although I do, I do really enjoy rain hunts. Um, but just as far as my optimism on success, you know, was yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah, I, I absolutely love snow hunts too. Um, in fact, that one I went, I got in two snow hunts last year, and I hadn't actually hunted when it had been snowing for oh, quite a while. So I'm with you on that. It's it's snow hunts are really fun, and ducks do seem to be easier to decoy on on those days as well. Yeah. And yeah, that's a definitely a lot of good points to put out there about the wind as well. Um, I guess I've never put it to that extreme, like 12 miles per hour. Seems like you're not going to have a lot of days with 12 miles per hour wind. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So what do you mean? I don't, by, what you, do you mean that you're not going to have a lot with 12? I feel like at least with my hunts, like the number of days where it gets to the 12 mile per hour mark mm-hmm. is, is minimal compared okay. to like you know like you're gonna have like some when it gets to like seven i'm like yes you know like we're starting to get some wind um you know it's 12 like kind of the magic number where it's you know the best maybe maybe that's something like it but i feel like you know kind of like um i don't know if it's just like a drop off like a sharpest drop off of 12 let me throw these numbers out to you just but these are all of the numbers um, on freelance hunt stats, just I was giving you my personal numbers. So from wind from zero to five, out of 1,139 hunts logged, the harvested per average is 2.8. And then if we go to just six to 12, now we've got 3.3. So zero to five is absolutely the worst. But six to 12, it goes up to 3.3. And then 13 to 20, which I call strong wind. It goes to 3.9, and then heavy wind, which is 20 plus, goes to 3.6. So it's steadily, and I forgot to look at the actual numbers of hunts logged. Heavy wind's only 195 um, hunts logged. Strong wind is 595, and light wind, 6 to 12, is 1,423. So by far, the majority of the days you've got um, 12 or below wind and six to 12 isn't, you know, it, it is a big increase from six to 12 to zero to five, you know, 3.3 to, um, for the six to 12. Yeah. Half a bird 2.8. Um, so it steadily increases. The ideal zone is in between is 13 to 20. That's the ideal range according to all these stats. And, and I mean, well, you know, once you start getting, um, this amount of, you know, we've got 3,812 hunts logged. Your, your data pool is getting pretty significant at that point. So you can really start trusting some of these numbers, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's no longer a small sample size. <laughs> yeah. So 6 to 12 is okay. It's that 0 to 5 is the huge drop-off where you've got nothing on the water, no ripples, no nothing. Now, people talk about um, it being more than the water motion, that they think it has to do something with actual wind on the ducks in the air and i tend to disagree with that i don't have any data back that i think it's strictly what they see 
Um, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm wrong. Cause I know like with snow geese, it's the same thing. So maybe there, I just can't think of what that would be is like, why not having wind on them would make a difference of them landing or not. I, I just can't think of a, well, I, I know like it, at least part of my own personal theory on that is it has to do partly with the way that they're able to decoy in. Um, you know, they got to decoy into the wind. Um, if you have zero to five, they can go anywhere. Um, but if it's, you know, more than that, it makes it almost impossible for them to land with the wind without it being like a rough landing. So they're always going to, you know, circle in and come into the wind. You're able to kind of set it up where you have your decoys in a way where you can control where they're going to land easier. Um, you know, is every hunter going to go to that extent? I think the experienced hunters will for sure. Um, and then beyond that, it just seems like in um, certain wind types, they can kind of hover more, circle a lot more, whereas with the heavy wind, they want to get down faster. Yeah, that may be. So that, that's a good point. That, that's a good point. What I know for certain is zero to five mile an hour days sucks. <laughs> I hate it. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to improve it with motion and at least hope that if I could see that num- personal number of mine go from 2.6 up to, I don't know, it'll be interesting because I'll be able to track that next season and see um, where it's at. So it'll be interesting to, to chronicle it. Yeah. And one thing we can say for sure, I mean, that's the only thing you can control. Like the other things we just talked about in our theory of why birds work worse in no wind i mean you can't control the other factor so you know improve on the factor you can control which is the motion and, and see how much that improves it i mean it it definitely should improve it you know whether it improves it up to the same as you know five five to twelve or six your six to twelve mark i mean i guess time will tell yeah for sure i'm checking real fast to see what my last year numbers were um on this 11 hunts so last year i was actually 3.9 with no with no wind 11 hunts but i bet you a bunch of those were teal i'd have to go back and look because teal it doesn't really matter you know <laughs> so probably kick out september because teal will they could care less yeah you could probably just change your uh your filter to be mallards yeah yeah all right so um kind of along the the next the next one that i want to go into and kind of to um, talk about this a little bit. We have a lot of people kind of complain when we go into the stats and say, oh, it's not all about the numbers and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of a lot of people. We have some people who complain about it. But just so people know where we're coming at this from, it's kind of just like a study, you know, bettering ourselves. Um, it's not all about the numbers. You know, duck hunting is a lot deeper than that. But, you know, it is really cool and really interesting to use those numbers when we're talking about how can we improve whether it's adding the motion or talking about which place you want to hunt because you don't want to have your decision making kind of driven by emotion when you can drive it by knowledge and so another thing i want to kind of look at this year kind of going back and i and one thing i did was use elliot's uh tracking stat system um, and you know, I did slack off and sometimes didn't get all the stats in there, but one thing I did make sure to get was always the location, um, my shooting percentage and the number of birds. So, you know, I want to go back and look at locations cause, and see how I've done. Um, I have one place that I'm emotionally attached to, I call it the honey hole, <laughs> <laughs> but I can guarantee I've had more skunks there than anywhere else. But I've also possibly had more limits than anywhere else. So, um, you know, I just want to go back and look at the locations and see kind of what I can gather 
from the information and one season 49 hunts um a lot of those weren't even in indiana uh but what can i kind of say about the locations i pick um and yeah just kind of look through that and figure out really you know am i emotionally attached to this or which spots are wetter better but i will say it's probably too small of a sample size over one pretty crappy season so <laughs> yeah well after you after you get some more hunt you know, you get 25 hunts in that location the great thing is you'll be able to go and see okay when i was limiting out what was the wind direction what was the temperature so you can start build maybe it's that okay on this particular wind pattern that's when these birds use this um because I, I that's another thing about hunting that bothers me is if i've got a scout on it's a north wind and the next day it's a south wind that scares me you know what are they going to do different in the wind so it, it may be that once you just learn what the variables are when the birds come into that place then you can just attack it at the right times which would be very beneficial yep all right you want to jump into your next one yeah um so i i'm really excited to pattern um the boss shells um we, we talked a lot about choke tubes over the past season um, full choke versus modified and i know they are um, encouraging um, us to use the full choke with <clears throat> these boss shot shot shells so I'm, I'm really excited to pattern the modified versus the full and see what the differences are um, i'll tell you it'll, it'll my my sparkling shiny full choke <laughs> will be in the gun quickly if i feel like that's going to give me a better, a better chance. So I'm, I'm really interested to see whether my findings with the patterning of the gun will convince me to move away from a modified. Cause if anything, I was starting to head more, we've been using improved cylinder um, quite a bit through September and October. So to get me to, to slap in a full is going to take some work, but I'm, I'm excited to, <laughs> to see that and, and make a video of it too. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, in the same boat, you know, um, I did use the full choke actually the last few hunts with some boss shells last year. Um, but I actually didn't get a chance, you know, it was right in the heat of the end of the season and during the, <laughs> the polar vortex. Um, and so I wasn't about to go out and pattern my shotgun in negative 20 degree weather. You know, it was all I could do to get out there and hunt. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe not the best choice. And, you know, some people say you always need a pattern before you go out. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to be patterning, um, with all my choke tubes and different shot size and figuring out what kind of, I want to roll with. I know a lot of people love the fours and fives across the board. So, um, that's what I'll be looking at. Um, all my different guns and figuring out what I'm going to be going with. Yep. And, and, you know, for my patterning, it's, it's probably a little different mindset, um, than what I've been hearing, um, from boss as far as what I'm looking for. I, I know if I know that with some of this ammo with, with bismuth bismuth, you can be um, pretty deadly over 40 yards. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't, I didn't shoot sometimes over 40 yards. I think over the past few years, my idea of what 40 yards was more like 35 yards. I think I was kind of uh, making a miscalculation, but I want the most lethal killing pattern between 20 and 30 to 35 yards and i don't want to shoot outside of 40 45 yards even if i think the ammunition can do it it's just i don't find it enjoyable um compared to getting them in close and that doesn't mean i will never do it but the game is i mean the the ducks are going to have to show me 
really seriously that they won't come inside of 40 yards for me to start consistently taking between 40 and and 50 yard shots. I mean, they're going to have to show me over multiple passes over multiple hours before I just start targeting that is what I'm doing. Um, we'll, we'll come cutting, uh, come hunting, uh, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll teach me. Huh? <laughs> no, no, I'm not, I'm not discrediting what you said. I'm sure, you know, that's, that's a definitely a good, you know, strategy to go with. Um, but yeah, I'd say we're not all as lucky to live in Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we, we're, we are blessed. It's a good state. <laughs> just giving you a little hard time. That's on that. all right. That's all right. <laughs> Um, so last one, I think this kind of goes in for the two of us, um, for preparation. Um, and I've been, I do this all the time. Honestly, I don't know where to go from it now, but I think that I just need to pull the trigger and kind of get my ducks in a row with this. Um, but I do dog training and I do it, you know, a couple times a day, if not more, uh, almost every day. So but I just kind of do the same things all the time and I'm not using a program and I've been saying this for a long time. Um, but I just don't know where to go with it, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I need to be on a program. And the, the thing that I'm leery about with my dog training and going to a program is they're all set to take your dog from a young dog all the way through a dog that's hunting and even a dog that can do trials and hand signals and all that. And I've worked on like things here and there and he's good at some things, and like he's even partially, you know, pretty good at hand signals and all that. So it's like, you know, I need to do the collar conditioning. I need to do some improvement on obedience um, in distracting environments. Um, and I need to do force fetch. But I also, I kind of want to go on a training regiment um, that's more regimented. And I feel like we had the same conversation last year and it never happened. So I just need to pull the trigger, figure out something to do. Well, here's what I'm going to use. And I can't, I'm trying to look up what the name of it is right now. Freddie King. And I think I've talked about it's called the, I'm looking it up, the retrievertrainer.com. And it's 60 bucks for the whole year. It's like five bucks a month. And if you go in, I mean, you can pick by skill level, um, activity, and, and then sort it. Through, let, let me go through. Um, meat dog training would probably be more where you and I fall into. So you click on that and there's 27 um, clickable links. And I'm assuming it's a video and not a write-up. I'm not sure because I haven't paid it yet. But that that might be a good one for you. Here's force, force fetch starting the ear pinch, force fetch step one. I mean, it's just like right there. And that might not be a bad place for you to go. Mm, yeah. So the the other thing I'll kind of mention that I'm leery about is um, I feel like Chief, his drive, he can get some major drive at times. But when I go into this stricter type of training, and it's probably my inexperience, but it kind of snuffs out some of, some of his motivation. And I'm just really, really being careful. And especially being um, unexperienced, and I go into something like force fetch and then – I don't want to mess up that motivation because I got it right now where he's um, really motivated to go get the bumpers and, you know, got a high drive and, and I'm just, I'm just nervous and scared um, to kind of push him, which I need to, but it's just, you know, it's just a, a fear I have. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. But you know, luckily with this podcast, we have access to a lot of experts and yeah. I think really digging into those types of questions when we have those guys on, 
is going to, I mean, they can answer all those questions. And I think the the drive one is the hardest one as, as I don't remember who at this point told us that, you know, increasing the drive of a dog is extremely difficult to do, especially from that age. Cause I, I've had the same problem with Izzy. Her drive isn't the same as my dad's dog are. So I don't think that necessarily increasing the drive is as important as just getting them to do the functional things that you want at a lower drive level, you know? And I know with you, the ice thing is big. Um, but I don't yeah, know. yeah. Colder weather and ice and yeah. Yeah. I know Izzy is, is, does not like ice. Now I can normally get her into those situations, but man, that, that type of stuff is, is extremely difficult to, at some point with yeah. your dogs, you just have to say, ability wise this is what they are this is you know um, and i've done that in the last several years with izzy as far as retrieving anything off dry ground it's just like okay you know what this is what she is and i love who she is and and i'm I'm willing to deal with with that and work on the areas that i think are more um, adaptable that i can change her in you know yep yep definitely ground that and with my last one's the same thing with the dog thing. Well, I'm picking up. Uh, we decided to name the pup Georgie, Georgina, and we're picking her up <laughs> early July. And I don't know. I mean, I'm super excited. I haven't really started um, getting into the exact training program I'm going to have her on. I mean, I know where I'm going to get it from, but I, I'm going to feel better. I want to look through them all and see them all and and really focus hard on what I'm doing with this dog. And I'm going to make a lot of videos of it. So. That's going to be a big part of my July and August for sure is the um, third and fourth month of Georgie's little life. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we're, I'm getting her from Flatlander Kennels. Um, trainers out there um, is Corey Jobman and, and seems like a great guy. So I'm I'm really excited. I'm glad I waited because I know if you remember I talked about I just wasn't motivated for it and I wanted to wait until I was motivated. And, and now I am and I'm ready to go. So I'm really excited to see what happens. Awesome. She will, yeah, I'm excited for you as well. <laughs> and she will not hunt until the 2020 season. So I will train her, um, you know, throughout the season and you'll, I, she will be in videos and stuff as we go on little camp trips and whatnot. And you'll get to meet her when you're up for teal season. Um, so she'll be a big part of it, but she won't hunt <laughs> until 2020. So her first hunt will be teal season. 2020 opener will be her first. Opener. Awesome. And I'll probably put the gun down on that one. Like, um, I think it was Bob was recommending too, but looking Good forward deal. to it. Looking forward to it big time. That'll be a cool story to watch all the way from training to the first duck in 2020. <laughs> yeah. And Izzy, you know, watching her wrap up her career will be a, a big storyline as well. She's got a limp right now and I need to get her to the vet, but um, she's got a limp right now that she did not have at the end of the season. So I take her for a walk for a mile, mile and a half, and she's fine. And then she gets home, and she's limping pretty hard. I cannot see her doing much hunting with the, with where she is right now, um, especially in need. No way I would take her out in knee-deep water. I would take her out in, um, like, calf-deep water or water above her head. But she's she's struggling. She's struggling. So I'm going to try to get her into the vet. And um, she does have a little sore, I've just noticed, in between the pads of one of her toes that hopefully, I'm actually hoping that's part of the problem um, because if it's internal arthritis and stuff, I'm, what can you really do? So, um, But yeah. that'll be, the, both those stories together, I think, will be really interesting to put on the videos. You know, one dog's phasing out and one dog's coming in. So 
Yep. Yeah, we'll see. Well, it sounds like we got the off season. Uh, <laughs> we got a lot to handle this off season. So. Yep. <laughs> well, I think it's only fitting that you uh, do the wrap up ending uh, outro as well, since you did the intro on this one. <laughs> well, I do not recall what you say, but I will wing it. So, thank you guys so much for joining us. Remember to check us out on Facebook and or. Um, YouTube, our Facebook group, uh, Duck Gun Fellas. See, I'm, I'm blowing it. Fellowship of the Duck Guns. You can also check out Jordan and I on Instagram at FreelanceDuckGun and at Duck Gun Chronicles. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. That was so bad. Can we even do that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My ears awesome. started burning. <laughs> then I started getting worse. <laughs> Literally, my ears started getting hot. <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> like, I couldn't even remember uh, the name of our Facebook group. Oh, I'm sure you enjoyed that, didn't you? No, I did. That was awesome. <laughs>